Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... A Single Man. Hello, Eric, and welcome to the year 2024. Stop it! It's the future. We should look up what movies came out, or what movies from the past took place in 2024, to really oh, wow. blow our minds and look at right. how much life sucks. I know. <laughs> As you can yeah, tell, it's been an uplifting start to 2024 for all of us, okay. I think. Yeah, of course. There's only been one natural disaster, so not too bad. <laughs> only one school shooting? Is that too depressing? Oh, man. What a world well, we live in. I mean, one that I've heard about. Yeah, that's true. Well, we can talk about some movies, at least. Maybe lift some spirits. I don't know if you saw anything good. I hear there's a Christmas action movie that uh, you want to talk about. Maybe? A lot of shootings. Uh, none in school, I don't believe, for Silent Night. The new right. John... Well, actually... Oh, yeah, it is a new John Woo movie. It was. Yep, new John Woo. I was very excited to watch new John Woo because. Robocop himself, Joel Kinnaman. Can I talk about how stupid I am for a minute? Uh, Please. I love this topic. Yeah, you've got a lot to say about it usually. (laughs) Am I the only person who didn't realize that this movie was named Silent Night because the main character cannot speak? (laughs) I heard that well after I heard about the movie, so no. I was in the same boat until I heard about the the hook. So it wasn't like... I was in that boat until about halfway through the movie. <laughs> halfway? <laughs> oh, man. All right, don't spoil it, please, because I do want to see it. But I don't know if it's plot-heavy that I, you need to worry about spoilers. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think the John Wick comparisons are inevitable, if unfair, just because it's made by... I haven't done a deep dive into how exactly, but it's, you know, brought to you by the people who brought you John Wick. So I'm assuming it's right. some of the producers because John right. Wick certainly did not direct any of the John Wicks unless he has a directorial uh, film name. I don't know. What would you call it? <laughs> Green screen uh, name? I don't know. That doesn't right. sound. No, um, well, he did not. <laughs> it opens with an amazing slow motion scene that I really enjoyed and you don't know what's going on at first. Mm-hmm. Um And yeah, it just, it is, I would say it's like John Wick, if John Wick spent the first hour being very sad and angry. I mean, he kind of is very sad in the the first movie. Yeah, (laughs) but I'd say like the first half of this movie is a very slow training montage. Okay, okay. Of the main character, um who is very aggressively angry, rightfully so, at the gang action in his neighborhood after a personal tragedy befalls him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, is just a normal, I think he's an electrician, I believe is what what his job is. um, Right. So he's not a a secret agent. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. The ending was not what I had anticipated, but still enjoyable. And um, I won't spoil it. All right, so good, good action, choreography, and all that. Good action, not great, not John Wick level, which is why I say okay. the comparison makes sense, but is unfair because that was its own 
You know, it, John Wick was choreographed to the level of like a 90s boy band. Um, <laughs> you know, NSYNC ain't got right. no strings. Like that was the level. Yeah. And it was not quite that. It was a little grimier, a little dirtier. And I think it makes mm-hmm. sense because he's not supposed to be John Wick. He trained himself basically in his garage and basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think it makes sense that it wouldn't be as slick and polished. Um, definitely a totally different vibe. You know, John Wick had uh, almost like a synth wave aesthetic of the, the neon lights and a lot of cool things. There wasn't as much of that in this. It was John right. Woo, so. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of doves that I, I uh. recall seeing. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say. It was just an enjoyable hour and a half to two hours or so. Okay, all right. I'll watch it someday. Maybe, I'll, maybe next Christmas at this point. Solid three and a half stars. I got to see a Christmas action film as well. This was from 2002, directed by Charles Carner, starring Dean Kane. Erica Aleniak, and of course, Eric Roberts. This, <laughs> this was Christmas Rush. It's basically, it's a made-for-TV movie that came out on TBS, you know, 20 years ago. And it's basically Die Hard in a mall, where Eric Roberts and his gang of criminals are going to steal the, all the money that was uh, deposited at a mall after Christmas Eve. So it's full of money, and they go to steal it. And it's because Eric Roberts' kid is dying of some rare disease and he can't afford the surgery. So, of course, he has to turn to a, a criminal life because healthcare sucks. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and Dean Kane is the cop who put him away 20 years ago and is now just happens to be at the mall where his wife works while this is going down. So he's the lone cop trying to stop uh, Eric Roberts from saving his saving kid. his little boy's life. <laughs> yeah. What a hero. <laughs> Oddly enough, this does sound a lot like something Dean Cain would do in the current day in real life. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Oh man, it's uh, it's an amusing movie. If if you're if what I describe sounds fun, it's fun, but it's nothing nothing special. There's no great action. But it's just so funny to think of this guy. Like obviously he's stealing money, but to think of the guy fighting for his son's life uh, (laughs) against the medical system in this country as the bad guy is just it's so you know 20 years ago i know right (laughs) now i'm rooting for him yeah exactly he's the good guy these corporate whores and and save your son's life yeah dean kane why are you trying to murder all these people (laughs) the insurance will cover it it's okay (laughs) you know the insurance will cover the the robbery (laughs) yeah so yeah, an amusing, an amusing Christmas diversion, I would say. You can find it on YouTube if, if anybody's interested in watching it. <laughs> uh, are there any other movies that you were interested in talking about? There is one, and I saw you rated it on Letterboxd, and I'm kind of excited to talk about it. Oh, okay. Uh, Gina and I went to the movies a week or two ago and saw a movie that I still don't I still don't know what I watched called Poor Things. <laughs> yes. Which I it's one of those movies where I saw it. It's it's its own little peculiarity and I enjoyed it, but I really don't know what was going on. Okay. Okay, yeah. I can I see would that. Say it was a mix of like um hmm, like a Tim Burton meets Wes Anderson 
meets i forget there was a third director where i was watching and i was like it was like these three people had a baby and made a movie and it's weird (laughs) you see a lot of emma's stones which i didn't uh think (laughs) was going to happen quite so often or lots of of furious jumping in the movie Um, (laughs) i just enjoyed the voice of this movie but i don't know what what it was or what it was yeah so it's it's ostensibly a frankenstein story right where this uh uh, mad scientist played by Willem Dafoe, favorite, creates a uh, brings a woman back to life. I won't go into details as to how because it's pretty fun part of the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has she basically has the mind of a child when she awakens and and she's just experiencing the world anew for the first time in an adult body, and it's. Uh, apparently, uh, everyone in the movie finds that irresistible. All the men, <laughs> especially Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, Mark Ruffalo was hilarious in this movie, by Mark the way. Ru- everyone in this movie was hilarious. <laughs> I want everyone yeah. to get Oscars for this. Yeah. So it's Yorgos Lanthimos who made a bunch of weird movies, The Lobster and Killing of Sacred Deer and Dogtooth and uh, The Favorite. And he has a unique vision, almost like, I don't know. It's like deadpan, but but weird stuff is happening, but it's almost played seriously in a way. And he has these weird... Uh, he's obsessed with like these fisheye lenses that work yeah. really well in this movie, I think, just to kind of set up A the great otherworldliness. style. Yeah, yeah, other surreal, but also like old Hollywood surreal, like mm-hmm. definitely filmed on a set. With, yeah, they uh, made I mean, those sets. I don't know if they were actual matte paintings, but uh, mm-hmm. at least a digital matte painting in the background that lent this mm-hmm. other kind of yeah otherworldly feeling to it. So my my thought was that they did that so that because um, that's how Emma Stone's character was seeing the world, like new and different. So they were showing us something new and different. So that was my take on the set design, which was, yeah, just gorgeous. Really cool to look at. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I would have a hard time recommending it to people who aren't like you. Right. (laughs) uh, Gina liked it as well, who is not like Mm -hmm. you. I think people would like it, but I I Mm -hmm. would just have a hard time recommending it because it is so far afield of 99% of what mm-hmm. most people are used to watching, I think. Yeah, I kind of think it's like this year's Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like a movie that's kind of be- main- become mainstream, but still just weird. And, and, and you know, all like the uh, the blue hairs in the, in the movie theater, all the old ladies in, in the movie theater that were there are probably shocked at <laughs> the type of movie that they were seeing. <laughs> um, but thematically, I think it's about... Uh, it, it's got a feminist bent for sure, and like a bodily autonomy thing, and making your own choices and uh, doing things your own way, that sort of thing, which is admirable. I found it uh, a little too episodic to be a perfect movie for me. Like I, f- I felt like it was just a series of really interesting. Every scene was great, but I felt like there wasn't like an arc until like towards the end again yeah agreed mm-hmm. i would still give it a solid three and a half to four stars yeah i gave it four and a half just for 
all the things we talked about, the performances, the design, the direction, the weirdness, it just, I would, could watch that movie all day. So here's the most important question. If yes. the mighty Yorgos and the mighty Torgo got into a fight, <laughs> who would win? Oh, man. I'd have to go with Torgo. <laughs> yeah, you can't bet against Torgo. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to bet against a satyr in a fight. Yes, he's got those giant knees, Torgo. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, well, let me talk about one more quick one, because I'm sure you've seen this. It's 20 years old. 2001, directed by Baz Luhrmann, Moulin Rouge. I actually have not seen that. Voulez-vous oh, really? avec moi? So, it's the first time I've seen it since probably 2002, and it really holds up, but it's got such strong 2001 era vibes with like the editing and the CGI and everything. Like I was like, wow, this is a time capsule of how they made movies back then. But the editing is frenetic. It's wild. Um, Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman have such great faces and voices and chemistry together that it really carries the movie. Um, there's a subplot that I don't like at all. And I won't, since you haven't seen it, I'm not going to bring it up. But it's definitely it's a worthwhile okay. movie to see. <laughs> can, can there really be spoilers for a movie that's 23 almost years old now? You know, if you haven't seen it, then it's, it's technically it's a spoiler. What so. if I don't care if I see it? <laughs> really, you don't care? I thought this would be kind of like a movie you'd want to watch someday. I don't know. I You know, I think there's a part of me that still hated being dragged to Romeo and Juliet in, like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I was 16 and never right. forgave Baz Luhrmann. And I thought that that was like a weird shtick that he had going on. The modern music in the kind of uh -huh. like reimagined um, historical period piece kind of thing Yeah, that I think I would be more into now, but I just, you know. There's this lingering feeling of having no interest in it. Okay. Well, yeah, this is the same thing. I have not seen Romeo and Juliet, so I don't know how close it vibes with that film. But this, the, I can't tell if the editing in this is just a genius or horrible because it's just so weird and frenetic. And it's almost exhausting watching the movie, how, how much is happening on the screen. So I appreciate that. I guess what I appreciate is that when I watch a Baz Luhrmann movie, it, it's a Baz Luhrmann movie, you know? Mm -hmm. It feels like a unique thing that he has made. Like a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could tell, like, this is made by somebody who has a vision of what they want. You may not like it, but it's, he's an artist, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder, like, if I went back, because I probably haven't seen Romeo and Juliet since I was 16 either. Mm -hmm. um, and it was dragged there by a girl I was probably trying to date and never did, I would assume. Uh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder how how differently I would feel about some of these movies if I looked at them with fresh eyes. Yeah, well, not that's fresh, why I, I'm I, decrepit, but, you know. Right, yeah, your, your sad, uh, decrepit eyes. Um, but that's kind of why I watched it. Candy wanted to watch it, and I'm glad I did, because it really, uh, it was it felt very fresh, even after all these years. Even though I had those vibes of 2001. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, like, I've seen, I think it's becoming popular, or at least uh, I've only seen it recently, is the meme of, um, like, a still shot from Romeo and Juliet. 
mm-hmm. looking at it, and that looks like a time capsule of the 90s. It is such a mid-90s, like the styles, looking at Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. when he had to be close to, like, I don't know, 20 years old, or however old he was in 1996. Yeah, yeah. ninety five when they were filming it, it's just such a look back, like a like a little time capsule, right? Yeah. Now he's dating people that age. <laughs> yeah. Now he's finally dating people as old as he was when he was making Romeo and Juliet. Good for him, I guess. Gross. Uh, have you seen um, Elvis, the Boz Lerman's newest? I haven't. I was actually just looking at IMDb to see what else he's done, and I didn't even realize that was him. That's uh, I liked Elvis a lot. It's a great biopic, and uh, I thought Austin Butler was fantastic. Austin Butler was fantastic as Elvis, and Tom Hanks. Oh my God, what a weird and fun performance from Tom Hanks! Definitely hmm. worth a watch. Who does Tom Hanks play? Like his manager or something like that? Yeah, yeah, Colonel Tom Parker, big fat Southern guy who does not have Elvis's best interests at heart, <laughs> and uh, he's really like eating up the scenery in the, in this one. Mm. I did see the great Gatsby by him and didn't realize it was him. Um, mm. and have basically no memory of that film. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you for your, uh, contribution. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I do feel, okay. So I feel like the one thing I think about that film is I feel like that was the first trailer where there's like a very slow version of a popular music song sung by a haunting oh, female voice. I hate that, that trope. still everywhere. It's yep. still everywhere. That was, you saw in Great Gatsby? Wow, that's funny. I that was like 2013. That, I feel like that might have been one of the first places I saw that. I could yeah. be transposing that from something else that had that um, mm-hmm. that look of the 20s, you know. Right. Is that Art Deco or whatever that's called? That art style? Yeah, Art Deco, yeah. But um, I think that might have been the first place that I remember seeing something like that. Wow, we should do the research because that is still happening. I think I just saw a trailer recently which, which had still that. Still happening, and every yeah. time it makes me want to jump off the roof. <laughs> yes. Wow, well, we agree on that. <laughs> well, that's all I wanted to talk about, Eric. Is it time to move into a right, movie? Well, or I guess I'll see else? you later. <laughs> Talking about a single man. That's true. Well, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to break break the title and and talk about it together as a, a couple. Okay. <laughs> a single man stars Colin Firth as George Falconer, a university level English professor mourning the unexpected death of his long term gay lover in a film about grief whose most lighthearted moment is a failed attempt to attempt suicide. Or <laughs> maybe it's the moment where George decides to not kill himself, only to die anyway. <laughs> I don't know why this was on my to-watch list. I would like to say I give this film a lot of credit uh, because it's artfully shot by fashion designer Tom Ford, who I didn't realize was the same guy as the fashion right, designer. Yeah. I just assumed they were two different people. That's awesome that uh, they're such a talented individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the shot composition was really great. It was good to watch, but the story was just so, so depressing. And as someone who, you know, I wouldn't say I've been like struggling but has mm-hmm. not been in the, the best of moods with the holiday season and the new year uh, mm-hmm. this year. It was just not 
probably the right movie at the right time for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah. am truly sorry for that one. It was on my watch list, and I really, like, I don't know why it was there. I did not know it was going to be so depressing when I picked it. Um, I thought it was just going to be a, a relationship drama. I had seen Tom Ford's other movie and quite liked it, so that's why I picked it. Um, and I did like it. Colin Firth is so um, just easy to watch, you know. He's such like a charismatic guy, even when he's not doing anything, just like looking at people. <laughs> I thought he was phenomenal in this. I think I yeah. read somewhere that he either won or was nominated for the BAFTA, which is the <laughs> British Oscars, basically. I can see that um, for best actor. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought everyone in this movie was great. I thought it was funny that he was the only um, person playing their own country. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Because so, as yeah, far as I know, was playing British. Is not British, right? Um, right? Yeah, he's Australian, I think, or something. Oh no, he is British. Well, that's he? basically the same thing. I don't know. I, don't know I read, what, what I read a little factoid about it. Uh, Julianne Moore is definitely not British. Right. Um, so yeah, I thought that was funny. It was mm-hmm. just so sad. And like I said, the only moment of levity was when he's... I guess the story... Practicing. For, I think he was practicing. Oh, yeah. well, I think he was going to do it because... Uh, let's get to the to what yeah, the story there is. He's an English professor. The movie starts with this really... Uh, well, I guess it really starts with the cool scene of him underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he wakes up from a dream of seeing his ex-lover, or is it an ex when they die? I don't know what these terms <laughs> are. Uh, yeah, no. They were together when he died. Died in a car crash, uh, visiting his family in Denver, and he's just, it's a, about a year on, and he is still struggling to cope with his grief. Um, he's mm-hmm. going to these college classes. He keeps kind of like zoning out in the middle of conversations with people doing generally odd things which um did also kind of make me laugh there's a scene where he's in i believe he's in uh, a parking lot and he just goes up to this woman's car and starts like <laughs> hugging her dog yeah it's like, like this what is i happening? mean it makes sense for that character because that was this specific type of dog that he had with his in his relationship barrier i think he said yeah um and that's kind of it really. yeah he's preparing for his his he's going through his last day he's going to commit suicide at the end of the day and he's just kind of tying up all his loose ends and experiencing you know his life for one more day and it's you know what's going to happen and it's very sad yeah well do you the one thing i thought was funny okay so can we talk about the cool trick they did here multiple times um of Saturation. going from the very cold color color mm-hmm. palette, this like blues and grays to mm-hmm. a very warm, bright orange, and it just kind of like fades in with the scene, which I thought was supposed to be him representative of his mental state because it would mm-hmm. seem to be it would go orange when he was like connecting to other people. And that is kind of, at least in my experience, how grief goes, where you can be in your own little tunnel and everything mm-hmm. seems dark and gray there is no sun and then there are these moments you know as right. as you start to to move through the process uh where you know there is a sun again there is light there is life mm-hmm. um, and i thought that was really cool i'm not sure if it was 
overdone or even done enough. I can't really decide. I did like that effect. Um, I don't know what. I, you yeah, I agree. The effect was very neat, and um, it worked. You can kind of get see what he was feeling when they were switching. Um, to what end? I'm not sure. If it was just him in the moment, or if it was him with like a view to maybe not end his life when he was having those moments. Yeah. But something to think about. Um, Nicholas Holt plays his student who definitely has a crush on Colin Firth's oh, yeah. character. A hard crush. <laughs> a hard crush. It was uh, almost uncomfortable to watch, not mm -hmm. because of the homosexual elements, but because of how awkward they were with each other. And like, right. Wondering what exactly was going to happen and knowing Colin Firth's mental state and yeah. just the, the discomfort of this movie takes place in the 60s. Um, not that that that's is, a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, of the student teacher relationship and like, is this going to be gross? Mm -hmm. He's of age, but it's still like a weird power dynamic and definitely like, I don't know. Yeah, there's that. And there's also the repressed homosexuality that, you know, he's not quite, he's not out. And uh, Nicholas Holt's character is not out either. So it's like, how do two people who are not out start to connect in that way? You know, it happened yeah. a couple times in this movie where I was like, "Do they just know?" Right, right. There was a That's scene like with a man outside the liquor store, and it was like they just mm -hmm. look at each other, and all of a sudden, they they kind of um, nothing comes of it. But I'm just like, how mm -hmm. do they know? This is right, right. Okay. Well, yeah. hmm. that was so, not a criticism, but it was just like, is that really a thing? I don't know anything about this. Is that, yeah, that that's true. I just, I, I'm on the same page with you. I, it, I just went with it for the movie. Yeah. You know, it, it made sense. It was like you could see it in their eyes that they knew. And then I was hoping that, you know, it would pull. On Firth out of his grief. Well, I think it did. And mm -hmm. then he died of what I'm assuming was either a heart attack or liver failure. So yeah, so the the so the scene we were talking about earlier where he is ready to commit suicide and he's like kind of testing the angle of the gun and laying in bed he and he can't get comfortable. Can't get comfortable. Like, it's it was so Probably, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but to me it was. I think it was. It I was not, so too. not yeah. quite slapstick. And I think that was mm -hmm. a brilliant choice to make the most, what, what would normally be the most depressing moment in a movie, mm -hmm. uh, especially in a depressing movie. To, the choice to make that a comedic scene was, I thought, really brilliant to like lighten the mood. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. such an odd thing to say. Um, yeah that's exactly what it did and then he um gets kind of saved by the bell when a phone rings and he goes to his old friend julianne moore's house um yes they had this... plans for dinner which he was clearly going to blow off by blowing his brains off <laughs> yeah uh-huh uh, i thought um so mm -hmm. yeah and then uh, Julianne Moore's house, and they have their kind of last scene together, where he says goodbye in his own way to her, who's been a you know a friend his whole life, and maybe if he wasn't 
a homosexual, they would have gotten together in a real relationship, that sort of thing. Um, she has her own issues, which are not really essential to the movie, but she's clearly been through some things as well. And then he meets up once more with Nicholas Holt, who kind of tracks him down. Him? Yeah, stalking him. And they have this awkward night together where will they or won't they? What are, what are they going to do from here? Um, and that is what kind of turns him around to not commit suicide. Yes. Right? Yep. That's how I read it. Yep, and then he clutches... The reason I'm thrown, I would assume it was a heart attack, but he was clutching like the right side of his body, which is where your liver is. And he was, they mm-hmm. made a point of showing him taking bear and right. drinking a lot, which is a very bad thing to do to your liver. And you can assume uh, that that is, um, it seemed like it was habitual. Okay. Yeah. He definitely drank a lot. That is a given. He drank a lot, and he was pounding bear. You know, he woke up the first thing and pounded bear. He's in his mm-hmm. office at one point, and he takes more of what mm-hmm. I assume is like a painkiller and yeah. finishes it off with a bottle of wine. Um, yeah. You know, pounding bear could go multiple ways. Pounding bear, <laughs> yeah, that actually makes sense in multiple ways, which I didn't think of. Maybe subliminal genius on my end. Yes. This was based on a book uh, of the same name by Christopher Isherwood. Mm-hmm. And I really, I feel like Tom Ford did a good job in this movie, but I bet the book is way better because I, I just think biopics, this is really a character study, not a biopic. I don't know why. I said right. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to do a biopic successfully without voiceover which i also think is cliched and way overdone yeah there was voiceover in this movie oh was there i don't i don't remember much of it Mm -hmm. or at least not as much and i thought that was a a a valiant attempt to not overuse a convention that is way overused Mm -hmm. generally in these kind of character study movies Mm -hmm. um but it's so much easier to do in a novel where you can get into a character's head yeah i wonder how much was lost in that kind of translation from book to screen. Yeah, very good point because the movie is taking place from his in his head the whole time. And yeah, there's a lot of thoughts that he would have had that need to be translated visually and Tom Ford did a really good job doing that, but you know, pictures worth a thousand words. There's probably you know, 60,000 words in the book <laughs> that that couldn't yeah. be translated. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like I said, Tom Ford, uh, I, I really enjoyed the visual style of this movie. I thought mm-hmm. the shots were framed in a, a really visually appealing way. I loved the cinematography, those kind of tricks with the color palette and a bunch mm-hmm. of other like little things like that. It was it was uh beautifully told. It was just not my not the kind of story that I was in the mood for, I guess. Yeah, I Agree. I thought it was a good movie. I think the only issue I had was the ending, where he decides to live and then immediately dies. And I'm I don't know. Hear you say that because that's exactly how I feel. But you seem to embrace that kind of, I don't know, European style of story more, where life sucks and then you die, yeah, I, yeah. whether you decide you want to live or not. <laughs> I think it was just the t- the the way it was presented, the timing, because it was almost literally like 
I am going to put the gun away and I'm going to live. And then he sits on a bed and then he has a heart attack or a liver attack or whatever. I think it was just too on the nose, too timing wise for me. Yep. Yep. So I'm at a, I'm at three stars for this one. Yeah. I think that's a fair rating. Yeah. I think I would agree with that and and give it the same three stars. Like I just clicked on in uh, letterboxd. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Good movie. Don't want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I do either. It's a shame because I think I might have liked it more again if I saw it uh, when I was in a different state of mind or something. Right, right. Well, I hope you watch something happier for your follow-up movie. I really friggin' tried. <laughs> oh, no, really, God. Really <laughs> tried. Uh, you know... <laughs> I needed the Colin Firth that I know and love, like the fun, affable British guy. Like, uh, I was really hoping that he was in the new Kingsman movie because I haven't seen that. Uh, Whatever, like, the prequel is. Uh, Apparently, he isn't. I already seen the other two. In the past. Yep. Yeah. uh, But I found this movie on Canopy called The Mercy, which looked like a really fun sailing adventure movie about um it's directed by james marsh from 2018 starring colin firth and rachel weiss and a bunch of other people you would definitely recognize oh hey there's that british guy who's the british guy in things um whose name i don't even know but i definitely recognize uh-huh. david thulis <laughs> yeah david thulis who is the only one who i recognize as remus lupin from the harry potter movies there is a guy, I wrote his name down, Simon McBurney, who was in one of the Mission Impossible movies as a character. Oh, his name guy. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of stuff. It looks like it's going to be a seafaring epic adventure, but much like the true life subject of the film Donald Crowhurst, it is a fraud and gets really sad at the end. Very much an all is lost oh. uh, scenario. Uh, okay. which is another movie I really loved that I don't think gets enough love. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about Donald Crowhurst. It is based on a true story. Donald Crowhurst was an amateur sailor who invented several like kind of sailing-related objects. Like they, He's got this one uh, device that will kind of triangulate your position based on radio signals and something to help a boat, you know, not capsize. Um... A sailor had just gotten back from being the first person to circumnavigate the globe alone by making only one stop. So this newspaper in England decides to to create this race where if you leave between, I think it was like June or October 31st and sail around the world, they're going to give two cash prizes, one to the first person to do it and one to do the person to do it fastest. So he decides his company's not doing well, apparently, that he's going to enter this race with his equipment in this custom built boat that he's kind of designing. Um, and he's going to, you know, finish this race and he's going to prove that, like, if an amateur like me can do it using my tools, anyone can do it. Things mm-hmm. go predictably sideways almost immediately. His boat starts taking on water. They have to rush to finish the boat, first of all. So even before he's on the boat in the water, like there people are telling him, like, this is not going to go well for you. And it does not. So <laughs> he, since he's like leveraged his mortgage, um, his home, his company will go to his investor 
if he doesn't finish this race, he decides, I'm just going to sit around the Atlantic and drift here for a while, and then I'll say I finished the race. Um, (laughs) That's not what I expected. (laughs) Yep, not at all what I expected when I was looking at at this movie. I was like, it's going to be a story about pluck and determination. I don't expect him to win because that would be ridiculous, but cool. Um, But he's going to finish the race, or even if he doesn't finish the race, it's going to be like this heroic tale. And no, he just kind of drifts around the ocean, loses his mind, and kills himself. Oh my god. (laughs) I should laugh. (laughs) I I would laugh at me because I was looking for fun first, and I got dead first twice. Oh my god. (laughs) And like, okay, (laughs) this movie was so good for like the first half to three quarters, and it was still good. It was just such a letdown when... You know, you're rooting for this guy, and then he just keeps making these decisions that, like, you know, from day one, he's telling people he's in a different place than he actually is because he's embarrassed about the speed of his trip, you know? And he's, like, telling... He hires uh, Remus Lupin, whatever the... David Thuby or whatever you said his name was? Thuby? Thulis. Thulis? I was close twice, uh, but also wrong is his publicist and he's like writing these news stories to pump it up because he wants his company to do good. It was like, you understood the motivation for every decision, but at some point, you know, there's one point where he, uh, lands in Argentina because his boat has a really big hole in it and he's trying to fix it. And it's just like, just give up, man. (laughs) Right. Just like none of this is going well. And it, and it ends up to the point where his logic, I think was sound where he's, uh, forging this logbook of his locations on and the days and stuff like that mm. but then thinking you know as long as i finish it doesn't matter they're not going to inspect my logbook but then it becomes where he's going to be the only one to finish so mm-hmm. he can't finish because he's going to come in first and it's just like oh man <laughs> and if you read about the real story of this guy which i did after i watched the movie I'm very interested in reading about this because he does. There's a part at the end where I thought he was listening to a radio broadcast and that this was like, you know, talking about um, God and the sin of man or something. It's it, it was not as overly religious as I made it sound, but those right. are apparently passages from his personal diary and logbook that he was keeping as he's uh-huh. kind of like losing his mind and there's debate over whether or not it was a suicide because he may have actually thought he was like throwing off the shackles of his earthly body and moving on Mm -hmm. to a different plane. That wasn't death. It was like, it's really interesting and sad Mm -hmm. and depressing. Um, Cinematography again was great. There were a couple scenes in the beginning when he's first setting out and you're optimistic that this might work out and be like a fun sailing movie of like, dolphins just birthing and whales and like a whole bunch of cool nautical stuff there was a bunch of cool like uh long distance drone shots that really gave you this kind of feeling of isolation of this like one tiny 40 foot boat in the middle of this vast ocean Mm -hmm. um yeah but just it was so sad (laughs) (laughs) oh man i am give me the fun first I need I Love so Actually first, who actually, I guess, was kind of a sad sack, but, you know, at least looks like he got with Claudia Schiffer in the end, so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you need you need to watch The Kingsman again or something. 
I oh, might man. I might have to do it to to <laughs> floss this out of my brain. Is there any fun other fun ones? Uh I mean Mamma Mia. That sounds fun. I've not seen it. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you suggest that I watch Mamma Mia? Oh, okay, gotcha. I thought how dare I not see it? Wow, did not know you were a Mamma Mia fan. I was not. <laughs> my niece used to watch it all the time. Okay. Yep. Probably watched that every other Saturday for a couple of years and did not enjoy it. Uh, the Boogie Nights Syndrome. Yeah, Boogie you? Nights Syndrome. <laughs> BNS, as it's, as it's called in the biz. Yes. So what did you watch? <clears throat> so I decided to go for more repressed um, period piece sexuality movies stories. I went with The Hours from 2002 by Stephen Daldry starring what a stacked cast Julianne Moore, Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep John C. Riley, Tony Collette Ed Harris, Allison Janney, Claire Danes Jeff Daniels Miranda Richardson it's, um, so it was I remember when this came out back in 2002 it was like such an Oscar Beatty movie, you know. Uh, came out around Oscar time. It has Nicole Kidman with the fake nose that everyone was talking about. Wow, Nicole Kidman looks so ugly. <laughs> you know, one of the most beautiful actresses at the time, putting on a fake nose. You know, that's Oscar bait. And um, but it's it's by the director of Billy uh, Billy Elliot, which I quite liked. So I thought I'd give it a shot now. Now that I'm more mature, and I hated it. It was not good. <laughs> yeah it is definitely a felt like an oscar bait movie but that by itself doesn't bother me but it had this philip glass score which was really good and really dramatic and it was directed so seriously and full of everything had an air of melodrama about it but uh it didn't feel i didn't feel like it earned any of that so i was like watching it as Nicole Kidman's character, for example, um, was the least interesting character I thought in the movie. She plays Virginia Woolf, the, the author, who did commit suicide um, and was... There were theories that she was a lesbian at the time, so that was you know, a much harder time to be a homosexual. And she... Uh, she was, it's about her writing her book and just not... Um, she has some like vague history of mental illness, and her husband is trying to help her through it, and she is just unhappy. And there's a lot of drama about that scenario that they present it in such a heavy-handed way, but I did not feel the character drama happening at all. So there was a big disconnect there. And then the other story is being told is Julianne Moore, so Virginia Woolf was in the 20s. Julianne Moore is in the 50s. She is a housewife who also is a repressed lesbian who's in a marriage, an ostensibly perfect marriage to John C. Riley, like that 50s well, white picket fence. I mean, he is so, he is so good at playing such like a likable dumb guy. He's just so happy that he has this beautiful wife and a son, and she's pregnant, and you know he's just so happy that he got out of the war and now is living this perfect life. And he's such, he's just so dumb and happy. <laughs> and she is like clearly struggling with something, but the movie is so, 
it doesn't really it doesn't spell anything out which i like but it also makes everything so dramatic without giving you a real reason to understand why it's so dramatic so her character wants to commit suicide and then there's also a story in the modern times 2002 of meryl streep who is an out lesbian in a relationship with allison janney um and she is throwing a party for her gay artist friend played by ed harris who's dying of aids and just got some huge poetry award and is basically almost on his way out and that his character is like the tortured artist dying of aids was just like so in your face that type of character like a caricature of that type of character when what time does this movie come out this that was like the 2000 i mean it came out in 2002 i think it was the 2000s Maybe it was the nineties. It was supposed it to have been the nineties. Maybe it was the nineties. Are you ta- are you saying there was a cure or not a cure, but there was treatments for HIV at the time? No, no, no. I just isn't Virginia Woolf like a really old author, yeah, or were these sorry. not? Yeah, they were not concurrent. So oh, Virginia Woolf okay. was in I the twenties. Like, I don't think they had AIDS back then, or at least <laughs> no, they didn't Virginia. know what it was. So okay, this is that makes modern, modern times. Yeah. So you got Virginia Woolf in the 20s, Julianne Moore in the 50s, and then Meryl Streep and Ed Harris in the modern, whatever the modern time was. So that like caricature of like the tortured artist dying of AIDS, and I don't know. It was just so in your face, and nothing really worked for me. All the performances were really good, but I didn't think the script was there to like give them much to do besides look and look their parts, you know? And they're always sad. All the characters are always sad. And I get it. You know, these characters would have had hard lives. But the movie didn't make me feel that. Besides, like, forcing the drama via the direction and the music. Gotcha. I was very excited at the beginning because it has this, like, little montage that kind of shows all the three different time periods. And there's no dialogue, just the music. And they're all kind of see the characters going through their lives and they're cutting it in an interesting way that they, like one character puts the flowers in a vase and then the other character does in their timeline and then another character does in their timeline and it was just really, really interesting and got excited, I was like, ooh, this is gonna be cool something like Cloud Atlas which did that really well, but this movie did not, and I ended up being very disappointed and just angry at the end well, so, you know what's funny is that any time somebody talks about the hours, which I haven't seen, mm-hmm. I always think they're talking about the others. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, it's like Kidman. <laughs> this doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah. It, and about the same time, I think that one might have yeah. been like it right was like before, 2001, right after. Yeah. 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 I'm like, that, no, this it was a ghost story. What are you talking about? And then I remember, <laughs> oh, there was that. There was that other movie. Yeah. Which I've never seen, and. I don't think had an interest in back then and still doesn't sound like I do. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it for you, especially. But one thing I do want to mention is that Nicole came in and her fake nose watching the movie. It was just always a distraction. Like that's a, that's a uh, conscious choice to put one of the most popular, beautiful actresses in a fake nose and put her on screen and to make her look like more like Virginia Woolf. I looked up a picture of Virginia Woolf and yeah, she does look more like her, but it's such a conscious choice that it was really distracting. Yeah. Prosthetics yeah. get the prize, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. She got the she got the best actress. She won the award, the Oscar. So good for her. I thought yeah. she was the the other. I thought other people did a better job in this movie. Can I uh, say a mean joke? Not not to body shame, but as as a, <laughs> as a question slash joke. Sure. So Nicole Kidman is a beautiful woman, but she's definitely had a lot of work done at this point. Do mm-hmm. you think she just had them give her the Virginia Woolf nose? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now in real life, I don't know. I got to watch the AMC ad a couple more times. Oh, where was it really pronounced? There was that show, the HBO miniseries she was in with Hugh Grant, and there's a scene where she's running on the bridge at the end, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh man, that looks like a a Barbie doll or something running down." Uh, um, yeah, which, I which is that. I think it's more a commentary on the pressure mm-hmm. our society puts on women, especially, but people in general to age in a way that is unnatural. Um, yes. I think mm-hmm. it's very sad that that people feel the need and probably don't even feel the need. It probably is necessary for a lot of these aging starlets to have work done to continue to work, which just sucks. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. in between for that. You either have to be actually ancient, uh, like, like the the woman from Wedding Crashers and the Wedding Singer. Uh, I don't remember her name. Um, <laughs> the very old woman in both of those movies, or you have to pretend to not be you know, in your fifties or sixties. Right. Yeah. Cause Nicole Kidman is now what? 50, like late fifties. I'm sure at this point. Yeah, probably. I think she was born in like the mid sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, so, uh, unfortunate picks this week, I guess. What a, what a way to st- happy new year. Happy new year. I'm going to give the hours two stars just because it had, you know, they're all. It was an admirable attempt at something um, that just did not work for me. <laughs> and it's been a while since I've seen the others, but I would give that three and a half to four. Based yeah, on the others is great. Memory. I love that movie. Yeah, that what, a, what a turn! What a twist! What a twist! <laughs> and in a shocking twist, we are not going to pick a movie off my watch list this week, since it is at the end of the year. And the next time we do an episode will be, you know, at least close to a month into 2024. We're going to do our best of 2023, our celebration of the movies of 2023. Such sights to see, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.